got a beard and it's looking something fierce Having beers with my peers and talking rap careers Reflecting on the years, connecting on the tears Shipwreck faith ain't always as appears I'm bringing you fresh music, I'm bringing fresh ideas I'm bringing you the dudes in the indie music beers Chilling at the shows and talking about the pain With people who learned how to face it and be sane Sipping on a brew, doing interviews No topics off the table but we focus on breakthroughs So kick up your feet, we're gonna put it in check You're listening to bruise beards and shipwrecks One, two, one, two, a mic check Stone bands, Royal Ruckus on the scene Just to announce We got the brews, we got the beards Tasty interviews for your ears to hear One, two, one, two, a mic check Stone bands, Royal Ruckus on the scene Just to announce We got the brews, we got the beards Tasty interviews for your ears to hear Welcome to another episode of Brews, Beers, and Shipwrecks. I am your host, co-host, Nomadic Vagabond, with the ever-illustrious... <laughs> Yo, this is Chun Jay from Royal Ruckus, uh, also known with the name my mother gave me, Jamie Bennett. What's going on? How you doing, my friend? Dude, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. Life, life, has, been, life has been busy, but good. Well, it's been busy, but for one big reason. Why is that? Yeah, so uh, Polina had our first child. So we three weeks ago, as of uh, well, yeah, three at the time of this recording, it's been about three weeks since our firstborn son Gregory uh, was born, and it's been amazing. Uh, sleep is weird. It's it's not that we don't get sleep; it's just different, you know. And it's lots of interruptions. Um, turns out. All of you parents that have ever said that, we're not kidding. Well, that, that's facts, dude. I mean, I got a, I got two teenagers now, so I don't got that problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you remember, you remember. I, but it's, oh, but I, it's been amazing. And uh, right now, my mother-in-law is in town, and uh, she's been a huge, huge help with the baby because um, they take a lot of hands, that's for sure. Yeah, they do. What about you, man? What's going on with you? Um, man, I actually, I just started a vacation, so I got a week off right now. So I'm just chilling out here in good old rainy Oregon, trying to get the, you know, hatches battened down before uh, the winter comes. So yeah, I've just been working on a little yeah. music here and there, just trying to read and, you know, chill before I got to go back to work. It takes naps. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I tell people, I'm like it. If I, if I napped as hard as I rap, or if I rapped as hard as I napped, I'd probably have like albums out by now. <laughs> that should be a line in one of your songs. Yeah, I know that, right? <laughs> well, um, why don't we go ahead and introduce uh, our guest? Um, yeah, man. You know, we've we've got a connection to, a, you know, coffee as well, because this is brews, beers, and shipwrecks. So it's brews of all kinds. Right. We don't discriminate. If it brews... That's right. <laughs> if it brews, it's good. <laughs> but yeah, we got our man Carlos Aguilar uh, from Mizo Coffee. Go ahead and introduce yourself, my man. Brap, brap, tippy tap, tap. No, um, and I'm here in full effect, joining you from California, Los Angeles, and uh, happy to be here. And thanks for the invite. You know, the first thing I like to do is to, you know, get to know people I'm, I'm chopping it up with um, is to have them explain their tattoos. And I see Jamie has a tattoo running across his right forearm. So, Jamie, what is that? And what does it say? What does it mean? Choose one. Let's see. I, um, what do we have here? How about we start with this one? 
All right. So okay. since um, the average podcast listener uh, does not have special vision to see what you're seeing, um, I was pointing to my cicada tattoo. And of course, uh, the long and the short of the cicadas are, you know, they're a really fascinating insect. Uh, they live for above ground. They live a very short time. So they spend most of their life preparing for this brief moment. Uh, and then they fade out of existence and the cycle continues. So uh, there's all kinds of metaphors that can be unpacked out of that. And then especially when you consider we've got the unique cicadas in North America that um, only come out every 13 or 17 years. Um, so a lot of bizarre stuff, a lot of fun stuff. And that inspired a record, uh, Royal Ruckus, The Summer of the Cicadas. It's the type of tattoo that's going to prompt a question because not many people can tell a cicada from a fruit fly from a, right. a moth. Why do you have a cockroach on your arm, man? <laughs> so it allows, like, it, it allow, if you're in the mood, you can get into it. I, 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 I could dig it. Clayton, do you have a tattoo? Or I'm guessing you do. Yeah, yeah, I got it. If you a, do. Yeah, I got. Um, what's going on? Okay, you're showing us. What is that? Explain that. Explain so that it, it's us. a dove. So a friend of mine, like one time, was, he he was going to tattoo school and he's like, oh, he's like, you know, we need to do something on you. I'm like, all right, word, word. He's, he's like, how about a dove? I'm like, oh, that that's cool. And, you know, he's like six one. So I'm sitting there thinking like just like a little, little dove. Right. He shows up with this thing that stretches almost my whole arm. I'm like, bro, we got to size that down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's just was that your of, first tattoo or not? No, my first one was actually no. Nah, first one is this one. It's like the, the Triketa. Uh, um, okay. Which okay, ironically, okay, okay. him and I both got our first tattoos together, and then he ended up becoming a tattoo artist. But um, yeah. and then how do you uh, how do you dis how do you um, explain the dub? How do you interpret how do you interpret it for people when they ask you about it? What do you um, do you tell that story, or do you say I get it for this or that reason? No, nah, I tell the story. I mean, it's funny because like uh, it, it just it, for me, and it just represents hope. You know, as far as like just trying to kind of keep hope and kind of you know every time i'm kind of getting in a spot be like yo just keep that hope um it's gonna be better the next day you know we've all got tomorrow you know right see uh my first tattoo i got as a 17 year old at a ditching party um the homie chris lazan <laughs> the homie chris lazano just got out of juvie and there was a ditching party at his house and he apparently learned how to tattoo while he was in juvie and I, on the other hand, had just went to a religious crusade and decided for whatever reason, I was going to give my life to this, uh, this God character. And, uh, but I was still in the hood and I was still like tagging, for example, on walls. Sure. Like I was, I, I was foreign to, to religion or at least to evangelical Christianity, which is what I became involved with. So my first tattoo, I told Chris Lozano, hook it up, bro. Born again. And ah. uh, sure enough, Sure enough, in some really shitty cursive, he <laughs> hit me off with a, so I, like, he hit me off with a, with a juvie fucking tattoo gun. He hit me off with Born Again mm. at a dirty little angle, too. Um, and then, of course, yeah. like when I went to college two or three years later and uh, I had, you know, vowed, we made a vow to celibacy and abstinence. And uh, I'm wearing a tank top and this hot chick comes up to me and she's like, what's that on your back? And she like puts her finger across it. She says, born Aguilar? <laughs> like, uh, I didn't go to a Christian college. Uh, I went to, um, 
oh, I became born again, if you will, like my senior year in 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 high school. High school, okay. Via via religious crusade, and then like the first kind of public thing I can do as a declaration of how serious I was about not going to hell uh, was to <laughs> was to vow not to have sex on prom night. Um, okay. And, and my and my date was like banging, bro. I'm not even gonna front. I'm not even gonna front. I'm not even gonna front, bro. But um, but this was ser- I was serious about yeah. this. Yeah. At this at the because I also you know I was rapping in high school. I did this church thing. Yeah. And almost simultaneously, I learned about church rap, and so I was like, and I was just getting started with rap, rap. So it just made sense for me to start <laughs> church rap. Course. You know, yeah, that's how a lot of people um, got into it, <laughs> you know. So, uh, that was another reason. So, I had already, like, I might have already said my first Jesus rap publicly. So, people were kind of watching me, like, Oh, is Carlos right. really serious? Oh, yeah, I'm serious, bro. I'm like, and I told people, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bone home, bro. Like, I'm, I'm prom night. Um, <laughs> and I kept my vow, bro. And then I went off to college, uh, not to a Christian college, which was the counsel of some of the Christians who were in my life, like, Hey. Don't go to secular college university like they're gonna get you over there bro like you're you're a good one you're like you could do a lot of good for the lord you should like maybe consider doing bible college and shit and um i'm like hey maybe that's not a bad idea but i was already kind of on on track to go to a good college and like be a little more intellectually oriented mm, sure. than what bible college might have might have allowed at the time um so thankfully i didn't heed their advice but and, and i and Little did I know they were right. I did walk into a environment where being an evangelical Christian was going to be a challenge, bro. Especially with someone who um, liked people, right. who wanted right. to get to know people, who wanted to be out and about, and like yeah. not not automatically write people off, which is what I was starting to do as I started to imbibe this theology and this culture that started to really divide the world between us and them. Yeah. And I was already like doing that in, in this college environment. Yeah. Um, so that kind of, that's my faith story kind of comes out of that experience, maybe like as a high school senior, that tattoo being an early, <laughs> like visible testament, you know yeah. what I'm saying? You jumped right in, man. <laughs> hey, like put it, put it on me, dog. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'll tell you. I mean, there's like, I mean, I'm in LA. So like, uh, I think, I don't know if Nomadic knows, but I mentioned, I, I grew up in the area where Victory Outreach was founded. Victory Outreach, yeah. if you get familiar with is like gang Christianity, gangster yeah. Christianity, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's in, in my backyard. We, we just had um, uh, Soup the Chemist on the show recently, and he talked a little bit about his work that he had done with Victory Outreach. You know, they basically put him on tour you know, going, playing show to show for, for those people, you know, and that, that audience. So tell us, actually, I think it'd be cool to tell a little bit about Victory Outreach. Yeah. I think, um, I didn't attend Victory Outreach, Yeah, which is interesting because even though it was born in my backyard in the, in the San Gabriel Valley, I guess it has its roots in New York through, okay. but the pastor, yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh, I forget the name of the Nikki Cruz yeah. is a New York evangelist who I think trained Sonny Argonzoni, who was basically the, the face and the head there of Victory is. Outreach International. Yeah. That sounds was, right to me. <laughs> yep. Which was based in Southern California and really made 
a mission of converting hardcore gang members, Latinos, Mexicans, Chicanos, who were, you know, in the middle of, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, yeah. LA culture, which was violent, um, which is why you get the plays that come out of Victory Outreach about gang redemption. You yeah. get some of the early rap, which not only Soup was involved with, but LPG. And then of course, Dove, DJ Dove, who was with Soup, yeah. went on to kick off the Gospel Gangsters. Yeah, I was just gonna tell a story. Since that's in my backyard, I contributed wow. to the Gospel Gangsters first album um, be because Dove, um, Dove was in my area, in my neighborhood that we grew up in. And my uncle introduced me to Dove. Um, and Dove was, uh, and I just bit, been converted and uh, Dove was making beats for me. And I bought, I brought him a record one day, like, yo, I want this sample for this music you're making me. And uh, he took that fucking sample and used it for the Gospel Gangsters album instead. And oh, wow. I, it, and like, didn't return my calls for like six months or oh. whatever. Like, and I was like, I heard it and I, my heart just sunk. That was supposed to be my beat. <laughs> but all that to say, like, I was, um, as soon as I became like with it, got down with church, I kind of got plugged into the gospel rap scene that yeah. was starting to percolate in SoCal in the early 90s. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's part of what kept me in a community of faith for as long as I was, Yeah. Um, which was like I was in this gospel rap community, you know, and um, it meant something to be a Christian. Like there was a lot on the line as a gospel rap head in that during that era, you know. Yeah, it was yeah. like the underground of the underground. Right. We're battling like underground MCs and we're battling Christian MCs because they're saying like you have to be a certain way. And we're like, so it was like, yeah, it was really like us versus them. It was like a us versus them era. Like the zeitgeist was like Yeah. Yeah. Was that right? Like everybody was who's real? Who's authentic? Who's fake? Who <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it was even just kind of even like with just like regular like you know mainstream hip hop. You had underground and you know like mainstream. So it was always like okay, the quote unquote like backpackers. Like who's who's talking about the four elements and then who's rocking shiny right. suits. And then you had like gospel hip hop that was even like the more underground. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, and then gospel rap became a good environment for that orthodoxy that um you know the christian or there's a christian story that we like to tell about the origin of the faith and all this and like this these these is the true history these are the true prophets these are the true story to like these are the authorities and then as christians in hip-hop when they kind of started to tell that story in hip-hop we were like we we like oh yeah that's we're with that like tell us the creation myth who did it tell us the four pillars okay what are like those are the sacraments i don't know like there was just <laughs> there was a bunch of stuff that mapped onto our religious assumptions that was also that was also happening in like hip hop at that time around orthodoxy and authenticity and realness and fakeness and trueness. So it was a terrible in retrospect. It was fun, but it was also really like really nah, bro, like really juvenile, you know what I'm saying? Like really really juvenile and in, in retrospect. What do you guys think? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I'm I'm curious why why it's described as juvenile. I mean, I I don't understand uh, how you get from there to to juvenile. Yeah, like the um, 
a juvenile, I mean, in some pejorative way, but also in the, in, it's the type of behavior you do in like the early stages of culture building. Like you start, like one of the first things you want to do is to like, who's with us, who's against us. Yeah. Hmm. How do we determine that? Hmm. Well, let's start establishing sources of authority. Okay. And then how is that, how are those sources of authority grounded? Oh, by some connect some connection to the original you know what i'm saying like and you you do this storytelling early on to get people bought in to a story yeah that we can perpetuate you know what i'm saying and like it's uh and that's cool but i i thought you were also talking about like hip-hop lyrics specifically and and like talking about christian hip-hop and that scene right Mm-hmm. Help help me understand what you're what you're getting at in relation to that specifically. No, I'm, I don't know that the lyrics. Well, of course, of course, the lyrics, in some ways, were juvenile in that era. Although that was wasn't what I was referring to. Sure. The, uh, right. uh, the different, different the lyrics kind of juvenile there. Yeah, yeah. The lyrics there were a little, but it depends on who we're talking about. There was some cool stuff, you know, during yeah. this era. There was a lot of great stuff that gave a lot of us hope. Um, but you know, it's, it was the early, like when you look back now on what's even permitted to be called gospel rap, I think fewer things were permitted to be even called gospel rap in, in the nineties. Sure. It was such a narrow, yeah. it was such a narrow notion. Yeah. Um, and so it was juvenile in that way too. Like it hadn't matured enough to allow for different forms of yeah acceptance, like of, of, expressions catholic and, rap for example well i i think that tension is in some of the music from that era too you know you you get like freedom of soul has this you know track that is totally like directed at the christian music gatekeepers um you know so there's tension within the industry but then like a little later some of the same people in that camp are talking as much about hip-hop as they are about jesus and then that's getting called into question right so i i think i think i see what what you're saying but i i I also wonder how much of that was like the conversation within the community and it being kind of an insular community that like is talking to itself because i mean like i i think a lot of these things when you look at rap in that era i mean i think public enemy was groundbreaking incredible and every bit as preachy if not more so than sfc you know um contemporaries you know of each other uh and they're both preaching they're just preaching about something a little different yeah i mean one thing that the early 90s at least the early 90s if you'll remember that era yeah freedom or freedom of soul comes out of and soup comes out of was also really conscious and pro-black yeah. So you yeah, had the true. native tongues movement got its start then. Right. And you started to get consciousness in lyrics. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Laquan. Now is the B's turn. I, I was, that was a favorite jam of mine on Rhapsody because uh, it was like knowledge of self, mm-hmm. knowledge, 5%. Like, yeah. you started to get early references of like interesting forms of religion in hip hop during that era. So I think that gave some Christian rap some cover early on, I think. Because, sure. like, yeah, we were all kind of. Sure. talking some spiritual stuff or whatever yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting 
And I, I, I also thought it, it was interesting too when you had like things like a little later, uh, you had this uncomfortable connection between these evangelical rappers. Uh, and and re- we got to remember too, a lot of a lot of these Christian rappers were very charismatic, a uh, little Pentecostal too. So you had a variety though, but then you get guys like the Boogie Monsters, and they get outed as Christians because hey, they got this Mark of the Beast song. Um, but like these guys are what, like seventh day Adventists or something like, like if you really dig into the books, you'd be embarrassed to be promoting that song. You go to (laughs) church on Sunday, you know, like, right. This this might be a little too insider baseball for some of our listeners, but we do have a lot of hip hop listeners. So I I think this is an interesting conversation. Yeah, I remember, I remember when that boogie monsters go ahead. No matter. Well, I was going to say is like, I think I know what you're I know how you feel, Carlos, as far as when you're talking about, I think I kind of understand a little bit when you're saying as far as the the juvenile kind of thing, because I think it's like, you know, I came to my faith at, at 17 as well. Of course, I grew up in it, but I, I didn't really want to have a whole lot to do with it until like that time in my life. And so I was really gravitating towards hip hop and then coming into like getting like the Christian hip hop and stuff like that. But then as you get older, you know, you start realizing like there's actual real life happening. And some of these, some of this music and these songs don't always deal with just regular life. And so sometimes it's like you are kind of struggling to break out of that box and like experience what life is. And so while there are the elements of faith that can, you know, help ground you, you're still trying to kind of, when you're younger like that, trying to figure out who you are. And maybe sometimes these songs aren't always helping with that they're almost making you feel like constricted like you still haven't moved out of your parents house yet you know what i mean i mean i know uh, that's how i feel yeah, right <laughs> yeah i mean there's a certain element of it which is kind of like uh where where their gospel rap was a little bit like taking your medicine it was like don't listen to that uh-uh listen to this here's two cds one is, I, I swear he's good i heard he was in a gang and this guy <laughs> rumor was he broke at the olympics in 84 like nah bro like uh yeah so there was something very like medicinal about like the alternative that was like uh i can see how people were turned off by it yeah you know but you know i i've personally had an arc where like the more fundamental list my theology was the less tolerant i was of particular expressions of gospel rap you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. if it wasn't whack it was if it wasn't like aesthetically whack it was theologically whack <laughs> yeah. and that was sure. and then we would just we would clown that too you know what i'm saying it would be like yeah whatever so yeah no i i actually it's it's funny because all this takes me right back to the era where i was very much like that in my raps and funny enough i actually in that same era uh played a victory outreach street outreach sh- show and we were like a weird fit because we were like the goofy white kids uh now we we did one of our members at the time was mexican and uh we had a little bit of street cred with him right but the other two members we were just goofy white kids and um didn't really make the kind of hip-hop that that the victory outreach crowd was listening listening to but but like um when it when it comes to that era like i remember feeling like i had so many guest rappers coming in and i was letting them rap on my record because they were incredibly dope and they were christians but i was always worried about what they were gonna say 
theologically. <laughs> I still worry yeah. about that stuff, actually. Not as much, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I do too. you know, yeah. I've done songs with like Eli now, you know, like I'm he's not going to talk theology on my record, though, you know. Right. So. No. That's what I mean. Like now, now the what's permissible is is interesting and I celebrate yeah. it. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did was get super interested in apologetics right off the bat. Um, so, and that led to an interest in theology, which led to an interest in philosophy, which amounted to me going to seminary and pursuing a master's degree in the philosophy of religion and ethics from Talbot School of Theology at Biola. So I went from, you know, secular schools and to a religious institution and uh, did that program because I was interested in, I was still, you know, off, off, maybe not fundamentalist. I was a little softer, maybe theologically, um, but still, and, but still culturally Christian and publicly identified as an evangelical when I started. But by the time I was uh, done, I was like, I was real cool off. I was real cool off all that yeah. uh, and decided to um, backpack through Mexico for about a year with another, what I, who I jokingly refer to as an apostate Christian rapper. Uh, and we and we backpacked through Mexico for a little bit and did some cool hip hop shit. Are, are, are you allowed to name names or is this uh, that yeah, name, but I name think, not I don't allowed? Think, no, no, no. Um, I don't think you guys would recognize them since you were super plugged into the scene in, from Southern California back then. But if you know Ah Thomas from Tumblebeast, Tumblebeast, if you know Ah Thomas from Humble Beast, you'll yeah. know that he was in a he was in a group before that mm -hmm. called Science Project. Yep, yep. Okay. Before I, I was in that group with him. Okay. And Relentless before yeah. I went to Mexico. We recorded some songs, but before that group, TJ was in a group called Deviants. Deviants, yeah. Oh, yeah. Deviants, no. different from the norm to the different world. Different from the norm. Not yeah. conform. <laughs> you cannot conform. <laughs> I'm on that album. I'm on. I'm on their debut album. I did like a spoken word piece or whatever. I don't know if you have that piece, but anyways, his partner, Budzo. Well, that's not his name. That's his name now, but that wasn't his name then. His name was Alias, um, but his name is Isaac. And uh, not for nothing, nomadic, but you remind me of my G, uh, Isaac Budzo Supreme. Um, and we, uh, he's up in the Northwest too. Uh, and we backpacked through Mexico, bro, and fucking recorded an album and hitchhiked and. Just did a lot of amazing shit in Mexico for a little bit. Came back and all all of our Christian rap friends were like, "You guys are bonkers, bro! Like, <laughs> were you guys were you guys even talking about?" But TJ went on to produce my album that came out of that travel experience, which is Heaven and Earth. Which, if um, you can, it's you can find on iTunes or Spotify. The album cover has a figure holding two books that are on fire. The Bible and the dictionary, um, and so that was kind of what I was looking to do on that album. Um, and that was kind of tell the listeners how to look that up. So if you look Heaven and Earth, sorry, if you look up Heaven and Earth by Bookworm Brown, Bookworm Brown, you can find it on uh, YouTube and Spotify and Apple. You can you can bang that. It can and that's, that, can we play one of those songs uh, at the end of the podcast too? Oh yeah, for sure. I'd play Heaven and Earth. Okay. And yeah, 
that's the that's the lead off cut. Okay. <clears throat> but that was basically my opportunity to kind of articulate that tension I was starting to feel between like um, a fundamentalist evangelical kind of view of the world and the actual world. Yeah. Um, well, I I want to. If, if you don't mind, Omatic, I want to go uh, straight for a question here. Um, so one of the reasons I created the show was a curiosity, um, and it was rooted right in my experiences in the Christian rap community. And, you know, I, I don't know, I never knew how to quit, but like I've kind of been on and off the scene. Um, at some point, I completely lost touch with whatever was the discernible Christian rap scene. Uh, but I didn't really lose touch with uh, all of my friends. I've tried to keep keep in touch with a lot of folks, but over the years, I've I've found out a lot of a lot of people aren't Christians anymore. Um, in my case, I went um, into Orthodox Christianity, and uh, same with uh, Nomadic. So I almost had a conversion to another form of Christianity. Um, so th this always. Um, it intrigues me when when you mention things like this and you talk about, um, you know, you make passing references to someone who uh, was once a Christian rapper in some way um, and, and has landed somewhere else. So you were actually in seminary, though, you know, like you you went full on. So um, I don't know with this podcast, I'd love for you to just tell uh, briefly your your story on on where that went. You know, for sure. Um, you know, part of the reason I liked apologetics was because it was really hip hop, especially it's, it was really early 90s hip hop. It was on some Malcolm X shit. It was on some Nation of Islam shit. It was on some dialectical, like rhetorical yeah. kind of sleight of hand. It was it was on like some when I when I went to college on the East Coast, I went to Brandeis for a year. Fools were like off that Nation of Islam and me bearing the slave master's Christianity in their eyes meant mm -hmm. that I either and I, and I came from a neighborhood bro I wasn't going to be uh, uh, like I, like I was I was going to I was going to G up for mine you know what I'm saying like I didn't want to be I, was, I didn't want to be soft with mine so I was like I gotta have something bro I gotta have something to say and I was like oh thank god for this thing called apologetics you know and then so I did all that and got super interested in that and uh read all the books yeah and try to integrate that into my music or whatever and uh and then in undergrad, kind of, you know, once you get enough apologetics, you see some of its theology, but like any serious apologetics is really philosophy. Um, and then I'm like, okay, sure. well, maybe I need to take philosophy more interesting, more seriously, which I started to do and started reading kind of the philosophical apologetics, which require like really a graduate level understanding of philosophy. So sure. that's part of the reason I decided to go get a master's degree in philosophy, but at Talbot School of Theology, where the faculty right. were some of the preeminent evangelical analytic sure. philosophers during that time, sure. which was J.P. Moreland, William Lake Craig, uh, Doug Ivett. Um, uh, and so that's where I wanted to be because I wanted to like be that dude. Like, And yeah. even at my, while I was in seminary and when we'd have shows, I would sell books after, you know, I sell book, books after the show. I sell apologetics books. I sell theology books. I was trying to be that guy, that version for Christian rap, what right. like the five percenters were doing in whatever rap. Uh, 
But as you know, uh, evangelical culture, even in Southern California, or at least at these institutions where at least where the power is held, uh, is predominantly white. Even if you know, well, Southern California is predom predominantly Latino, and right. Latinos, if they're if they're not Roman Catholic, are um, and if they're religious and they're not Roman Catholic, they're going to be Pentecostal. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of religious action uh, on the ground, but the people in charge are mostly white. And the culture of Christianity, evangelical Christianity, was really disconnected from my lived experience. And then the more philosophy you do, you start to see that at the bedrock, there are a lot of appeals to intuition. Um, and these appeals to intuition aren't uniform. And these intuitions aren't universal. Um, and on and on. And so uh, by the time I had graduated, I, I was like more or less done with what, what they were selling there um, and decided I wouldn't rock with that version of myself any longer. Yeah. But since then, it's mostly been, a, and the album included, a reclamation of this idea of what it means to identify as a Christian. Yeah. Like there are a lot of ways. It's only when you get down to the fundamentalist that they're going to start saying, no, you're not a Christian, Carlos. But if you take like if you if you level up one or two views, like I'm clearly a Christian, bro. Like I was I was born in America, bro. Like I went to a seminary. Like I've read the Bible. Like I know who Moses is. Like uh, I have a I have a born again tattoo on my back. Like uh, <laughs> like if, what am I a fucking Buddhist? Like no, I'm a like I'm a Christian in a lot of senses of the term. Now, if you want to yeah. get like on some esoteric shit, like, did I say the secret prayer that I needed to say in order for my eternal, like, nah, bro, like, no, that, I'm not that for That list reminded me a little bit of uh, St. Paul's list when he listed all the ways that he was a proper Jew, you know, and, That's right, and he was like such a good Jew. He was like, I was even a Pharisee, but he, but <laughs> he, he right. made all the lists of all, all the boxes he checked off. That's right. <laughs> well, now... Now, you, you, this album, though, you're, you're talking about, like, it captures kind of a wrestling with, with faith or wrestling with expression. Or t Tell me a little bit about, like, as an artist, how you approach these big issues in a, in a song. Oh, you know, I I'm, I'm was, at least with that album, I let them usually let the music... I'm always, uh, this is me. Now we're talking inside baseball. Let's talk some inside baseball. Sure. If you show up to the studio with your rap before you have the fucking beat, like, sorry, bro. Like, sorry, wrap that shit up and throw it away, bro. Like, we're not, we don't do that here. Like, okay. the beat tells you how to rap. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I don't know any other way to say it in my point of view. Uh, so, whatever the music, so I, I don't necessarily like, oh, I want to tag with those songs at least i didn't go understand oh i want to tackle these big questions how can i do okay. it in a song yeah um but it's interesting like you know what does music do except push those buttons in you to like oh sure. shit like what else would i be talking about but this thing you know yeah and oh shit like you know in a lot of ways that album's old and that is an album about tension but um and balance and um, this, you know, I'm 15 years removed, so 
sure what you're sure. gonna hear there is not exactly how i'm rocking now but right f- but you don't get a lot of people recording that kind of tension yeah. you know what i'm saying that, that cosmic tension yeah you know what i'm saying yeah now now so With no did, rules did did you so did you conceive the whole project um along these lines or was it something that it's like you were creating the songs and then you look back and you go this is the package this is what it embodies so that's well so now i work in television and i work in television for almost a dozen years and advertising for five years and so some of my creative projects are clearly articulated before we start what we're doing and there's real value in that obviously you know what i'm saying and then of course hip-hop generation like freestylers like us like yo okay let's go what do you got boom we'll make it work so (laughs) with that album i don't know how i mean i knew coming out of mexico like i had a lot of shit to say and yeah um, and it was going to be it was going to be something it was going to be something like and then when uh, thomas gave me the music the sound of that era was really dark yeah. and really digital yeah for lack of, i don't know if that's the best way to describe it but um so that's what but i i sometimes I, even then i thought man if he gave me some like jazzy loops that album would have been mad different like i would have sure. been on some like jazzy loop shit like because the music would have told me to do some yeah. jazzy loop shit yeah this guy was listening to lp okay and uh, a company yeah. flow and so he was bringing me those beats you know what i'm saying so i was like fuck it let's let's do it you know what I'm yeah saying? this is what we're gonna do no that that makes a lot of sense and like that that's part of what inspired um some of the side projects i've done in the last couple of years where i've connected with different producers um because the beat brings something different out of you and you know i i've had agendas well in fact there's one i don't, I don't know if you know uh peter daly um he's played drums with pigeon john and uh he's done his own beautiful incredible art uh of its own right but uh, in fact he's got a new record dropping i think maybe two days ago it dropped um uh, in any case peter daly is great so i i had this idea for this uh breakup record i wanted him to produce it and then i was gonna find some female uh that uh some woman that i was gonna write the album with as if we were breaking up and so i had this whole preconceived thing and then Peter started bringing the music to the table and I don't know, basically as time has gone on, it just edged out any possibility that we're bringing in a woman on this record. I mean, (laughs) it's still essentially the same thing, but like this record needs Peter, you know? And so like I'm writing my songs differently than I would have if I'd been writing it with a woman. And so the end result will be what it needs to be but that's because of the, the collaborators. So uh, I, I dig the insider baseball talk like this. Well, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of yeah. crazy. Cause it's like, when you're talking about um, the beat tells you what to do, it's like, like I produce too, but I hate rapping over my own beats because it sounds too much like the same, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, when you hear it, it was like what Jay Ru the damage of his third one, like the heroes for hire album where he produced it. 
it was too much like the same as opposed to you hearing him rap uh, over like Primo's beats. It's, you know, it's, it's the, the, you know, so it's like, it's, it's definitely a thing when like the beat tells you what to do. And like, there's times I'm like, I want to try to work with different producers because it brings something different out of, me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No. Yeah. They're not, you know, it also tells you what to do with, okay. Now we're going to, okay, no, I'll, I'll, I'll parachute out. I'll parachute out. I'll hit the eject button on that because now we're going to start going into flow science. <laughs> but um, uh, <laughs> the um, when I when I got back from Mexico, actually the first thing I did was um, I uh, MTV was having a battle. Uh, this was J uh, Rockefeller Records. Eight Mile had just hit. MC Battle, this is 2003, MC Battling, or four, MC Battling was this fucking hot, so hot because of 8 Mile. Everybody yeah. wanted to be 8 Mile. So MTV was like, yo, Rockefeller Records contract, $25,000 cash. This is the date. Come one, come all. Yeah. And I had just come back from Mexico, like where I basically street performed all across Mexico. And I was just on my hip hop shit. And I was like, yo, I'm going. Bad news, I don't have any money. Good news, I'm inventive. Let me see what I could do. This is pre-social media, bro. I took out a classified ad saying, Mexican-American rapper wants to go to New MTV battle, needs sponsorship. And I ran it in an online, I ran it in an online uh, site called latinola.com. Oh my God. And uh, I was just hoping that someone would give me money to go battle or whatever. My homeboy, who's one of my rhyming partners, had his own money he was gonna go supposedly or whatever but he needed me to come up with my own which i was down and sure enough the time was ticking time was ticking no one's response to my fucking thing bro i'm like oh shit but i have a cousin who worked for an airline she kicked me down a ticket <laughs> but not not only that someone had seen my classified post a tv producer and this tv producer wanted to interview me one, once i got back to la wow. but he hooked me up with a new york tv producer so when i went out to new york I did an interview with them yeah. and then when yeah. I came back I was going to interview with him I was like okay cool shit I'm really going now let's go right so we flew out we flew out there so hyped again this is 2003 and 4 so MTV's website janky as fuck or whatever right sure. but they didn't have a lot of information except don't show up the night before do not spend the night in Times Square that's that's the only fucking thing yeah. they knew so we said okay next best thing we'll wake up three in the morning bro and we'll fucking get down there and we're going to be first in line <laughs> You know what I'm saying because we're not missing out on battling for Jay Z and Rockefeller and MTV and yeah. we're from the West Coast. We have bars. Yeah. I brought some weed with me. I, I, got, yeah. I got some dank weed on me. You know what I'm saying we're gonna <laughs> crush these fools, bro. Bro, and you could you could do all the Googles and search the news stories, bro. We get there at five in the morning, five thirty, and there's thousands of rappers from all over the fucking world, bro, uh... lined up blocks and blocks and blocks. And we're like, oh, there's no way. Like, we're not getting in, bro. Like, how do we, like, I can't believe we came all the way out here. Yeah. And we're not going to. So we, we scan the line. We start walking, like, where's the front? Where's the, where's the fucking front of this thing? So we're walking, 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 walking. I see my homeboy from the 909 Foundation Fund Collective. Okie doke, C4, burgers. Yeah. They let us in. They let us in line. We're not at the front, but sure. we're not at the back, right? Yeah. Eight, 7 a.m. I have good footage. Cyphers. Fools from New Jersey, spitting New Jersey flows, New York flows, <laughs> West Coast flows, Chicago flows, Atlanta flows. We're all hype. 
And then all of a sudden, there's just a fucking big roar, a big rush. And there's mayhem in Bedlam. Barricades are knocked over. Police horses are running through the street. Helicopters have descended. Oh, my god! And, and the whole shit is canceled, bro. <laughs> what? Oh, man. <laughs> oh. Okay. So we're mad as hell. And sad. Yeah. And, like, just dejected. But there's rumors, you know. There's like, oh, there's MC battles over here. MC battles don't leave town. Every like, you have all these rappers. Like, supposedly battles are going down everywhere. And I found a battle that me and the homie went to the day before. We made the most of it. We did our thing. Here's the best part. I come back. I do the interview with the TV producer. Gets my story. The package airs a week later for this network called Mundos, which was Telemundo's English language netlet. It's like their new network targeting English-speaking Latinos. I do the interview, it airs. I go back to that Latino LA website and there's a job posting for a TV writer position. I was like, I, I write, I wrote in college for the newspaper. Uh, it's it's about music. Fuck it, maybe they'll hire me or whatever. Right. I send it in and who is it? The producer who fucking had interviewed me three weeks prior. He was wow. doing the hiring and and he hired me. Nice. So that's how I got that's how I got my first job in television for like two years. I wrote for this network. Okay. And that's how I got my that's how I got my first credentials in TV, which allowed me to go on, you know, work a dozen years that's writing and producing in television. Yeah, it was, it was kind of dope. Hip hip hop intersected with TV. Now I'm gonna throw in some seminary on top of this. That's gonna be kind of okay. like a crazy story too. So I do that job for two years. It's all dope. I'm meeting all these, I'm fresh out of seminary. So I'm kind of like done with Christianity, but I'm all up in the entertainment mix. Like Latino, it's it's like all the Latino culture shit that's happening in LA. I'm covering and meeting and doing all this shit or whatever. Yeah. Cool, great job, fun while it lasted, bro. <laughs> but it's not gonna last forever. And it was done, um, okay. show got canceled. And uh, shit, I didn't have a job or whatever. So I was all sad. I was like, man, I'm never going to work in TV again. That dude gave me a chance. He kind of didn't really need to. The kind of writing I did here was is cool, but like there aren't a lot of jobs for this kind of writing. You know what I'm saying? So sure enough, I couldn't find a job for like a year until I saw a job posted on Craigslist where they're looking for a writer for a Bible documentary. And I was like, and I was on the set of a Latin rap movie and standing next to Chino XL. I remember this because when I got the reply uh, saying or email saying, yeah, give us a call or whatever. We're interested in talking to you. Cool. Blah, blah, blah. Gave me the address for the interview. The address was in the same building where my Mundos job was in. Okay. Oh, shit. My interview was held in the building where I had my last TV job. This is kind of crazy. And the <laughs> last TV job with Mundos, it was basically 12 Latinos in a building with 100 white people. Right. So it was just like. We were just all the Latinos and then like all the white people would be walking around. We'd be yeah. loud. We'd be, we'd be like straight, steady, cheaping in the offices, like doing crazy shit. Okay. So I go for my interview. My interview's in my old office. I walk in. I'm sitting down in my old office interviewing for this Bible documentary job. The guy picks up my resume and he looks at it and he's like, Mundos? Do they call you bookworm? And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, yeah, yeah like, yeah, because I remember you when you guys used to work here, whatever. I, I remember they used to call you Bookworm. That's cool, whatever. Yeah. This white man, this white man took a liking to me and he gave me a fucking chance. Wow. To write this Bible, to write this Bible documentary. Wow. Of course, I've been to seminary. The Bible sure. documentary is hosted by Sir Roger Moore. It's called um, 
Unlocking Ancient Secrets of the Bible. You can find it all over the place or whatever. Um, and wow. I wrote the stand-ups for Sir Roger Moore, and it was taped from all over the world. And I, when I got there, 80% of the interview, they thought they were done, but bringing my expertise to the table, I was like, no, we need to interview like five or six more experts. So I did that. And I stayed with that company for 10 years, 11, 12 years. Um, continuing to produce TV and documentaries and television shows and award shows and basically travel all over the country telling really cool stories about really cool people. That's dope, man. Uh, that, that sounds like an incredible set of experiences. And uh, th- not only that, but like to bring it sort of like I, what I keep hearing from you is you have this strain of your life and this strain of your life and who you and then I just see them kind of just interweaving. Pretty incredible. Yeah, no, it's it's cool. I I uh, I guess if you take if you wait long enough, maybe it'll start to happen. I don't know. Like, yeah, you know, it wasn't always it wasn't always that way for sure. But now, now, how did the the coffee weave in? I've I've been waiting to hear for you know I've been waiting to see like a you know coffee bean sprout out. So sure, <laughs> I, I was in TV for a bunch a bunch of time and then my uh and then i got hired at an advertising agency to run a bunch of content for celebrities and brands and so well how about this in tv even though i was done with evangelicalism and christianity one i got a job writing this bible documentary will put me right back into the mix and shortly after one of our clients became the american bible society so i produced a show called abs presents the american bible society presents where I found stories of people doing interesting things with the Bible from all over the country, from like an Episcopal priest who wrote a cookbook in upstate New York to these kids in Georgia who have a, uh, who have a Christian car club to a cancer organization in Seattle that is an outreach of a church. So for a year, a year and a half, I was just looking for cool Bible related stories and then going out and producing them, which was which was really dope. But that, I always thought that was funny. As much as I was trying to get away from like yeah. this kind of shit, like I was up in the mix. And sure enough, when I got to um, work at this advertising agency, one of the clients that I was responsible for was one of the biggest preachers in America. I probably shouldn't say his name because as much as I've been cussing now, but um, <laughs> we, you know, and again, we're okay really with tell all. You know, this is not <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> nah. Uh, it's it's not that hard to figure it out in the end, I guess. But but um, but being able to produce content on this person's behalf and yeah, uh, that was religious in nature for you know two or three years, um, alongside a bunch of other work I was doing yeah. it was really dope. I was doing a lot of work in digital marketing and branding, and I knew that it'd be valuable. And for a long time, thought it'd be great if I didn't have an album. It'd be great if I had another product that I can talk about, share, and sell. Sure. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So um, I had a coffee conversion experience where I thought I'd been drinking coffee. Someone actually made me coffee. And I was like, oh, shit. I wasn't worshiping the real coffee. This is the true and living coffee. This is the thing. <laughs> a whole I new world. <laughs> That's right. Not unlike, and I sometimes you know, talk about Plato's allegory of the cave, um, which, of course, Christianity, you know, 
Neoplatonic versions of Christianity borrow, borrow from. Uh, but the same is true, I think, when we, when my experience with coffee, or a lot of our experiences yeah. with coffee, which yeah. is like, we thought it was one thing, but we get told it's another. Yeah. And then we don't trust it. We're like, nah, fuck you. We like what we like. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's killed this guy who says like, he's Tesla. <laughs> well, bro, shit. it's like, you know, for me, it's like, I remember being like, oh, yo, like, MJB is like the the stuff. It's the joint, right? And then, like, of course, living in the Northwest, it's like, you know, coffee mecca, right? You know, well, one of the few besides craft beer. But it's like, dude, and then we had Stumptown. I mean, they were smaller then. But I remember getting some Stumptown beans yeah. and then you know and i still did it just drip and i was like it was next level and then when i had like french press and it's then it's just like all those levels you just start building all of a sudden yeah. I'm like oh yo you know get the chemex pour over you get you know um uh, i turk i was gonna make some turkish coffee because i got like you know my little you know cup here but i was like you know, I just ended up doing a pour over, but then, you know, then I got a, like a Jebedon, which is like the Ethiopian coffee pot. So it's just like, yeah. it's like, once you get that, like you're saying, like that coffee conversion <laughs> experience, like you just yeah. go full tilt. Well, that, yeah. so for, for me, uh, and I, you know, sorry to mention the, the, the mega giant uh, corporation, but uh, back in the day, Mike and I from Royal Ruckus, we were uh, baristas at Starbucks. Uh, and that's that was the job that we got when we moved to Nashville, and uh, we were we were making our record for the for the label. This is how. In fact, actually, it was kind of fun. We uh, we actually worked with Bonafide from Grits. Uh, he was okay. a barista at Starbucks at the time, and then, and like the out of Eden girls would come in and get. Hold coffee. on, the other guys. The other guy's name was Coffee. <laughs> I know. Right? Yeah, he would come and buy coffee. I don't remember what his drink was, but he would come in a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, th those were really fun days, but I remember it was in those days that like we had these managers, uh, like a manager and assistant manager that were really intense and they had us doing French presses every shift oh, wow. and we were doing tasting notes and we were pairing them with pastries and all this stuff. It was mind blowing to me. I was like 22. I drank like a quad grande latte and I liked <laughs> Frappuccinos, you know, and like and I like vanilla sometimes and caramel macchiatos. Like that was my coffee experience. And then suddenly I'm doing these French presses and I didn't, I started to hate Frappuccinos and like, it just changed everything for me. Now I'm probably am not where you are in your level of sophistication, but I mean, I just drink black coffee and, uh, and, and I do pour overs and things like that. So you know, my world has yeah. expanded significantly. Well, it's like when you have that first like cup of like black coffee that is like true coffee, like it blows your mind. Like you get when you actually get yeah. in like the tasting notes. So, I mean, so I guess to kind of even segue into like what we're drinking right now. Um, it's <laughs> yes. like I'm drinking two things. I, I was only going to have one cup of coffee, but since we're sitting here talking, I just keep pouring these little cups um because i just i poured it in like my like thermos right here but it's like um it's like so i'm sipping um it's kawaba so it's a local roaster and so this is their ethiopia from colenso um so i mean it's you know and it's it's a wash process or no i'm sorry sorry it's the natural process so those ones you know tend to be a little bit uh, for lack of a word grimier you know what i'm saying it's like you get some different flavors than wash stuff but 
Sure. Um, but when you get that first cup, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I actually taste all these flavors. And then it just, it keeps going from there and you don't want nothing covering it up, you know? I mean, I still like my, you mm. know, lattes and whatnot, but like, you know, when you get like a, a pastry with like black coffee, you know, it's next level. Well, I'm not sipping on any coffee tonight. Um, although, you know, one thing I've, I've never said on the show, but it's worth mentioning. Um, so I, uh, well, I may have mentioned that I do CrossFit uh, a little bit. I'm not like a full-fledged cult it. member. Um, what's that? Said your shirt says that. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, and I'm wearing a CrossFit shirt. Uh, so I'm like, I'm not like amazing at CrossFit or anything, but it's something that helps me. Um, but I go there with a cup of coffee in hand and, and when they're explaining workouts, I'm sipping on my coffee. Sometimes when we're warming up, I'm doing like, you know, warm up squats with my coffee. And, uh, it's kind of actually become like a running joke that I'm on my way to brunch afterward. Um, and I never am, but you know, tonight there's no coffee. However, I'm drinking beers. Um, so Tonight I've had the Mountain Time Premium Lager from New Belgium. Oh, that's good. Um, and I'm also having the New Belgium Voodoo Ranger IPA. Oh, um, I I don't know. I just I put on an event in the industry that I work in uh, this week, and I was in charge of buying the booze for the event. It was educational, but we still provided alcohol. Um, I I didn't have any of these beers there, but. Um, I've been so lame lately. All these shows, I've been just having non-alcoholic beers and like sparkling water. (laughs) I figured we got a show called Brews, Beers, and Shipwrecks. It's about time I have a beer. Well, the other thing I'm sipping on too is, um, so there's another local uh, brewery out here called Freem. Um, So of course, you know, I got proper glassware, right? So it's a, this is actually, it's um, an oatmeal cookie ale, which actually kind of tastes like they're, pumpkin beer but um yeah man it's mm. it's only like it's six eight percent so it's like you know it's bigger but not super big but yeah i got those cinnamon notes it's, it's pretty good man so you know balance here in florida that that's been like the thing the last few years been all the culinary beers um i really think it was like the funky buddha brewery that put that on the map here and it's like everybody's been copycatting and everybody's trying to do these like super interesting beers uh, I was sad to learn Duth South Brewery is going out of business um, and they were doing some of the best ones because they were doing all this culinary stuff, but it was pretty sophisticated. Okay. Um, you know, like they, I don't know, they, they had this one that was like Mexican cream something or other. I don't know, but it was incredible. <laughs> and it had like, like chocolate and jalapeno. Like de leche. And, uh, I think so. I don't know. Whatever it was, it was amazing. But well, I, we we've been just like having a dialogue here and neglecting Carlos because uh, no, no, this is this is all in the same this is all in the same lane. You know what I'm saying? This is all. Uh, and you know, the more I run in coffee circles, the more I meet folks who are interested in craft beer, yeah. interested in whiskey, interested in spirits, and for me, it's just opened up. This is one reason. I even I'm doing this at all is just to connect with people to learn more about cool shit to learn more about cool people to pull cool shit out into the world to again it's a reclamation project is to reclaim 
the notion of what it means to be coffee, yeah. is yeah. to reclaim the notion of what it means to be Mexican American, okay. uh, reclaim the notion of what it means, because what I'm doing here is like, I'm suggesting that Mexican Americans will pay top dollar for coffee for this product because we pay top dollar for mezcal, we pay top dollar for weed, we pay top dollar for kicks, and we we'll pay top website. dollar for coffee. That's right. Okay. And we'll pay top dollar for coffee if it's actually good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to introduce a better, the good life. It's yeah. platonic yeah. in a lot of ways, you know? Well, okay. Well, and, and the, the reality, um, so let me just say something real quick. Uh, the reality is like, you're, you're absolutely right. When, when someone has like a, an experience that is powerful, like having a great coffee for the first time in a way that they haven't had it before. Um, it opens up a new world to them. And it also makes them likely to, uh, to try something else similar. Like I, I toured a uh, stone brewing companies facilities like 18 years ago. I don't know, a long time ago, 15 years ago, something uh, in San Diego. And they were helping smaller breweries distribute and I asked them, you know, what's in that for you? Now, I'm sure they got a cut, too. But they basically said, these are not our competitors. These are, you know, our, our co-belligerents or our allies or whatever. And, and uh, if someone drinks a craft beer from Brewery A, they're li more likely to drink one from Brewery B. Mm -hmm. Same thing if, if, uh, if you're reaching out to a community that is used to uh, a certain caliber of mezcal. And they drink coffee. Why not find that same caliber of coffee? That makes sense to yeah, me. Facts. Well, it's like I mean, so quickly, two things. It's like there is a. It was, actually, I got it from Propaganda on his Instagram. He had it was like a, a mezcal, uh, like cold brew uh, recipe, dude. It was super good. I think it's like a shot of mezcal, a shot of espresso, and then like a half shot or a full shot of simple syrup over ice. Dude, next level, next level. <laughs> I was like, yo, I'm in. Um, but so like speaking of coffee with you, Carlos, like some of the projects you have done and yeah. are working on, like, um, I mean, dude, what, what you're doing, I think is dope because for me, it's like, so I'm, I'm going to talk about two and then a third one that's upcoming. So first we've got the collab you did with Elemento of the Visionaries crew. Okay. So the ceremony. Um, and so for a lot of people who don't know, some of these, the coffees, he's doing collaborations with different artists and they basically come with an album as well. So That's it's like you, it's, it's a whole experience. So the first one is the ceremony. And the second one that we got right here is the black love with piece 586. Uh, you want to tell us about those and then even jump into the, the upcoming yeah. one, if you don't mind. Yeah, I think a lot of people are hesitant to act on an idea that they have, um, and they shouldn't be because there is surprise and wonder and joy on the other side of taking the leap of faith. So like one reason I wanted to put out the coffee was, again, to have a reason to connect with people. Um, little did I know I'd have the opportunity to, you know, connect with one of my favorite hip hop producers of all time, Mad Lib, in a roundabout way, but still fucking madlib bro and and mestizo bro like and a dope spiritual mc like elemento so 
I'd been putting out my coffee, talking my hip hop shit, talking my authenticity shit, talking my keep it funny. It's not all that serious <laughs> shit. And Elemento came across it and was like, and I don't know Elemento. I was, I'm aware of him, you know what I'm saying? Like that, but not, never really listened to his music like that. Um, but I know who he is. And I knew even as a fundamentalist Christian rapper at the time that he was in the visionaries. I heard he was a Christian, but I was judging him, bro. Like, oh, nah, if he was really like hardcore, like, a Calvinist like me, and then he would he'd be over here, you know what I'm saying, doing doing it like this. But uh, lo and behold, he said, "Yo, what's up, bro? I like what you're doing. What's your email? I'm gonna send you something." I gave him my email. He sent me a song about coffee, yeah. which I thought was dope. dope. And I was like, "What? Wow, what is this?" And he's he's like, "Yo, yeah, this is produced mm -hmm. by Madlib, bro." And I was like, "Oh, what?" I was like, "Hey," and I knew that collaborating was part of my plan from jump. Uh, and I thought it was a perfect opportunity to kick off my series of collaborations. I just started the brand at the top of January, 2021. And so I've done two collaborations, the first one with Elemental, the second one with Peace 586 around the theme of black love, which includes about a 25 minute instrumental tape featuring music that we all recognize and is connected and associated with love. And along the way, produce some cool videos, cool video, like cool graphic assets, and just really bringing culture yeah. to coffee. You know, it's imagine I, I sometimes look at third wave specialty coffee, like hip hop was in 1979. But imagine it was only, or at least mostly, you know, white guys from Long Island or whatever, like. Yeah, like people from like Queens and Brooklyn and the Bronx and like haven't really got a chance just yet. Imagine that was true. Right. I think that's kind of what's happening in specialty coffee is like a certain group has been playing with it for the most of the time and new motherfuckers are showing up with different ideas and it's going to feel different. You know what I'm saying? And feel, yeah. and I think it's just huge, huge, yeah. huge yeah. opportunity to be this way with coffee. I think it's brilliant, What's man. What's the third one you got? I, uh, I love the connection. Yeah, so, man, then, you know, what's dope is, like, <clears throat> like, I still, like, again, I, I, I'm a Christian, bro. Like, fuck what, like, a lot of people say, like, I'm a Christian. So, to connect with, to I could collaborate. I know a lot of people. I work with a lot of people, like, and, and in the social media era, it's not hard to find, to connect to even people yeah. I don't know, but who I like. Sure. But the fact that my, my projects have, organically materialized and have in each instance promoted spiritual vibrations is super dope like and that's true of the ceremony with elemento and the music it also includes five other tracks um and if you know elemento you know his music is on that wave and it's, it's been about that for a long time piece 586 you know his work you know what he's yeah. about and then the third project i've coming up with dudley perkins is uh the roast is called the tonic and if you know Dudley Perkins, I couldn't I couldn't dream up of uh, another artist who's in the same wave that I'm that I'm on right now. So I'm really excited about that. When's that dropping? Uh, late October, maybe two or three weeks. Yeah. Nomadic, what'd you think when you got these? What, like, if even if you didn't use them, is it like a, a bad look? You think, or are people rocking with it, or? Describe what you're holding up uh, for the for the podcast listeners. Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm holding up these rolling papers that I send along 
Yeah, and every time I would try to use the uh, micro filters, as they were called, my my coffee right. would just keep falling through. And so I would just keep layering them up and layering them up before I know I got 50 of these filters, you know, I mean, you know, I I guess it was a different, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Dab the sweat. It was a different, it was. Oh, that's a great use of those things. So I thought maybe, so I put the coffee in them and I rolled it up and then I just soaked it in water and it, it kind of (laughs) worked. Okay. All right. That's all. Oh man. (laughs) <laughs> shout out to everybody trying to roll their coffee <laughs> no man uh, honestly nomadic big ups i appreciate yeah. the support uh and also just like you putting me up on game with all the cool contraptions you have i know you're into beer i know you're into spirits, yeah yeah, too, yeah. Right? yeah yeah man that's, so that's like again i'm gonna learn i'm gonna learn i'm gonna learn from you bro and that's that's also cool about what i'm doing is i get to meet my fuckers yeah, i can learn that from. connection now, I, I've got a question for you we'd like to ask uh, all first-time guests. I'm curious if you have, uh, and I'm asking out of order here, but don't don't worry, I got a, I got a plan nomadic. Um, ask, we ask all first-time guests what their favorite rap song of all time is. My favorite rap song of all time is 93 Till Infinity. Bam! That, that's almost like a, a shibboleth. Uh, actually, you know, people who say that as their we favorite, can proceed. that's right there. You know, we've had that one a couple of times, I think, for the favorite, and it totally makes sense. Uh, what, hey, what bro, a- I got, hold on. Oh, just real quick. Yeah. I dropped Shibboleth in 1996 in a conversation, and I remember the person's reaction to me. Again, I'm on some old, te- I was on my old testament shit, you know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah, I don't know, it just, it just came to me, and they're like, <laughs> oh my god, like. I was, it was one either like, how did you know that? Or yeah. I can't believe you said that or whatever. And I was like, yeah. That's amazing. Well, t- tell me what it is about 93 Till Infinity that uh, that just makes that song so powerful to you. Oh, well, you know, it did it personally. I can tell you what it did personally and then kind of what it did uh, industry wide, I think. Sure. Uh, on the personal front, this hit, of course, in. 93. Oh, I'll never forget this conversation. I was in school in on the East Coast. Souls of Mischief dropped and they performed on the East Coast. I, I didn't make the show, but it was like Souls of Mischief and Wu-Tang on the same bill. And me and my friend had an argument about who was going to be like the more prominent group in hip hop. And I was like, Souls of Mischief, bro, like not Wu-Tang. And I was like, nah, bro, I was so fucking wrong. But that said, that said, uh, personally, it just like it was when I was really into rhyming, just getting started. Yeah. I was on the East Coast, and I came back to the West Coast, and I was really happy. But what it did, I think, for MCs was it definitely broke open rhyme patterns uh, in a way that hadn't been done before. People weren't rhyming in those schemes, um, and that just really introduced a whole new era of rhyme schemes. Yeah. That I, I totally I totally agree. That song is is one of those that um, I'm not sure it ever gets old, um, and it it would definitely be on on the short list for me. Um, gosh, I think what I are your songs? Do it the other day. So what are your songs? Uh, the the one that I I answered for that was "They Reminisce Over You" by Pete Rock and Seal mm. Smooth. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, like really, if it really if I had to put those two neck and neck i don't know how i would say why one was better than the other 
I don't remember what Clayton's was, but he's said it on yeah, the show. Before. Mine was uh, "What They Do" by the Roots. Oh, you know? yeah. I mean, it's yeah. That's ninety four. Yeah, that was ninety six. Yeah. That was on. Yeah, that was on Illadelph Half Life. It's like there's just it's just there's there's certain songs. You know what I'm saying? Like I would just listen to a uh, what uh, Ghostface Iron Man, like the um, Daytona Five Hundred song. There's there's certain songs that just hit you where you're like this is embedded as just like a, a classic hip-hop song period like you know there's those tracks that come on and just like 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 you're saying like reminisce over you 93 like there's those tracks that come on and just like you just you just feel that you know what i mean it's like you're you're everything just rejoices in you and you're like yes this is what i love about this music you know so yeah will they reminisce over you came out in 92 i wrote my first i wrote, I wrote my testimony rap <laughs> my first Christian rap was a testimony rap over that fucking oh, reminisce over you. Yeah. Did, did you do that oh, a lot? Did you write songs over other beats? You know how hard it was, bro? You guys you guys must remember how hard it was to get beats back yeah. then. It was so hard. Yeah. So yeah, we would a Chi Ali, Ages But a Number. I had that instrumental yeah. for some reason, so we wrote to that. It was early. It was early on. It was it was hard to get instrumentals. Yeah. Kinda. Well, was it a, well? I guess unless you knew someone with turntables. You know, their albums out. Yeah, well, that was I, the other thing. Exactly. I would always go down to. Uh, I think it was usually Blockbuster Music, and uh, and they had CDs for sale. Uh, like they had a single section, and I would a lot of times I would buy. I think for a while they let you listen. They would open it up and they put the CD and you right. could listen, but. Uh, there was a lot of times I would just go in if I saw a rap single that had an instrumental on it, I would just buy it sight unseen. Now I was disappointed many times, <laughs> but I wrote some oh, of my yeah. favorite songs like that. Like we did, uh, we did, a, we named an entire EP "Not What You Expect." The song that that was that "Not What You Expect" was written over was um, "No Escaping This" by the Beat mm. Nuts. Now, if you were to compare wow. the two songs, you would never know. You would never know. But that was one of the secrets we did because we would rap over something or we would write over something and then we rap over something that was quite a bit different um, because like our, our main dude, he didn't make he didn't make normal rap beats. He was like this. He is this eclectic music guy, you know, but <clears throat> Anyway, I'm so glad yeah. I, I I have uh, a chance to nerd out with some some dudes over uh, rapping over old rap singles. <laughs> Man, now Shit. beats are like there's beat websites that have 4.2 billion yeah. beats available, yeah. and it takes me 45 minutes to find one I halfway like. <laughs> and not only that, bro, check out the 12 year old prodigy, Young Bangas. <laughs> Young, 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 bangas. That's Stu Bangas. Oh, word. He's selling He's selling beats heavy, bro. Like I follow his page, and he he posts his beat stars receipts. What was his name again? Fuck. Anyways, he's hitting, bro. Well, yeah, Stu Bangas is dope. There's there's dudes selling beats off there and like getting hits and winning awards. Like these things are happening. My, my priest's son, uh, you know, I go to a Greek Orthodox church and my priest's son makes beats. Now he, he's like a freshman in college 
And uh, I don't know that he's had like a Grammy yet or anything, but he's had some success. And like he's got his own thing. He does like this pop, like this really cool pop music that's mostly instrumental. And then he does these beats. Uh, Leondis is his artist name. I should I should shout him out there. But like super quality stuff. Uh, it's amazing what's out there, though. Like there's so much out there and some of it is really good. Yeah. But you have to find those guys who really know what they're doing. Well, it's it's so funny, man. I mean, it's it, like, yeah, it, it's like this. We're in this era where like everything is so accessible, but at the same time, it's it's so saturated where you have to like yeah. sift through it, you know. And it's like there's, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, where, where's like the real hip hop at? I'm like, it's there. You just got to search more. You know what I mean? But yeah. same thing as producers, man. I mean, there's a lot more people. You know, it's like you don't have to save up stacks of cash to get like an SB twelve hundred and like a tape machine or whatever it's like you can do stuff on your phone i mean bahama d did a whole joint on her phone i think you know just to prove a point but it's like oh it's it's out there you just you know you got to find it so yeah it's it's what i'm learning what i've learned in branding and advertising it's what i'm learning with coffee and it's what i see all the time with hip-hop it's like let's just assume the skills are, it's, just, it's even true of gospel rap now like the skills are there like the people have the skills that we've always wanted them to mm -hmm. have. Like when we were growing up, like, well, I wish we could rap as good as the other guys or whatever. Like, like we could do that now. Um, yeah. There's a, there's plenty of, there's plenty of good stuff out there. Now what's missing and, and the same is true for my coffee. Like the coffee's good guys. Don't worry about it. It's good, but that's not enough. The rap is good guys, but that's not enough. Yeah. What's the story? Yeah. What's the story? Like, this is true of UFC fighters. There's a hundred of them and they're marginally better than each other. But the one I like is the one who has the story that I can fuck mm, with. The one that's sure. like, that's my guy or this. Yeah. Or, and the same is true of coffee. Like Clay could tell you like all the coffees taste more or less. If they're good, they all hit in the same range. But like why you decide to pay for one guys and not the others is going to be because of some story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The same true religion too. Well, so, uh, Speaking of stories, uh, what is your story? Tell everybody uh, where they can find your coffee, where they can find any socials or any other things you want to point people to. I'm on um, Instagram, mestizo.coffee. Oh, I can't believe I mentioned that first because I should have mentioned my website where you can actually buy the coffee first. <laughs> mestizo.coffee, mestizo mestizo.coffee. Then on Instagram, mestizo coffee. <clears throat> and then on Twitter, Mr. Big Brown Dad. I have a website called Big Brown Dad where I write about fatherhood. Um, nice. And you can check me out there. Fatherhood. <laughs> yeah, we we right. will put, we'll put all those links in the show notes too for anybody that is uh, concerned about spelling or any of that stuff. Uh, we are at Bruce Beards on Instagram, and we are uh, BruceBeards.com. Please uh, share out our podcast. Um, also. I would like to also plug at Royal Ruckus official. I'm not doing a whole lot on there, uh, but Royal Ruckus is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, but we are going to be ramping up pretty soon because there is new music in the works. It's just one of those situations where we just had a baby. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm in school. I'm working full time. Like I don't I don't know. So somewhere you uh, you you run out of time to do all the things, and the music has. Uh, taking the back seat to the podcast and stuff so uh no matter oh i'm sorry go ahead what are you studying 
I'm studying theology. I'm I'm in the Antiochian House of Studies, so I'm studying Orthodox theology. So, uh, oh. all right, no, Nomadic, why don't you shout out your uh, your goodies? Uh, it's Nomadic Vagabond, Nomadic with a K on Instagram. That's pretty much all I'm on. Uh, I graduated high school, have not went to college. Um, <laughs> I'm working full time. You know, two teenagers <laughs> just trying to keep enough food because they hungry there all the time. <laughs> um, other than that, man, just, you know, chilling. Um, so I just want to say, yo, Carlos, thanks for coming on, man. This was a blast. Yeah. It was fun. It was, you know, yeah, man, it, it was it was deep and fun as well, dude. So th- thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah. My pleasure. Blessed and cursed, rip with the first one I 
I'm curious, though, uh, I do have to ask one question. You mentioned an Episcopal priest in New York with a cookbook. Uh, was that the Supper of the Lamb? Cooking with the Bible. Cooking with the Bible. Who's that by? What's the name? of the That's the guy. What's, it, what's his name? I don't know. This is, you can, I'm pretty sure he still sells it. This is 10 years ago, probably. Okay. Well, I can Let's look see. it up. I was just, I was just curious, yep. and it, I, knew, <laughs> I knew of this cookbook thing uh, kind of thing from an Episcopal priest, but it had something to do with like cooking lamb. So I was curious if it was the same, but I think that's, I think it's different. You know, cooking with the Bible. I made, I still have it here. Anthony Chifalo, I think that's probably him, Rainer has, but I only try to make one, one dish. It's my famous Bible bread that my wife always makes fun of me, Okay, but no, it's cool. It's cool. Cause it has old Testament. It's like recipes from the old Testament and shit like that. It's kind of crazy, bro. <laughs> it's crazy. got to look that up. I don't cook, but, um, I tried that Bible bread and it was trash. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, man. For sure. No, pleasure. We'll stay connected. I'm sure. All right, guys. Peace. Not you shipwreck. Hey, love, boat. Not you shipwreck. Hey, love, boat. Not you shipwreck. Hey, love, boat. I'm walking in the club like. Not you shipwreck. Oh, heck no.